It's the lens, it's the lens, it's the lens, gotta live diverse. It's the lens, it's the lens, it's the lens, live diverse. You are listening to The Lens Living Diverse, a podcast brought to you by the CNIB Advocacy Team. Join Nisha, Vivi, and I as we speak to individuals with intersecting identities who live with sight loss as they share their unique stories. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Lens Living Diverse. I'm your host for today's episode. I'm Nisha, and we're going to have a wonderful conversation today. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Um, You should probably wear some makeup. You will look more like a female or more like a lady if you do. Put on some high heels instead of flats. You'll be more attractive. Or... I don't think you should walk with your cane. More men will approach you if you put it away. These are examples of toxic femininity. And today I'm having a wonderful conversation with two amazing, talented, educated, smart young ladies, Vivi and Kia. Hi ladies, how are you today? Great, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I I feel special. This is Kia speaking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is hi, Vivi. <laughs> hi Nisha hi Kia yes thank you that was very warm and complimentary and uh yeah I I feel uh loved and accepted also wonderful well you both definitely are by me and by Ben if he was here he would definitely say the same <laughs> that, that's true <laughs> so the lovely voices you hear with me today are Kia and Vivi, and today we'll be having a conversation about toxic femininity. Before we dive into things, I would like for you both to give a brief introduction of, of yourself. I know Vivi, our listeners have heard you before, but Kia is new to the, the podcast family, to the Living Diverse family. So I'll start with you, Kia. Why don't you introduce yourself to the Lens family? Uh, well, thank you for having me. My name is Kia Osborne. I identify as a Black woman with sight loss. And my background is I'm Canadian-born, born in Montreal. Don't speak French anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> and my cultural background, both my parents are from the wonderful island of Trinidad and Tobago. So I carry my culture and my love of culture on my sleeve. If anyone knows me, I'm like the Trinidad poster girl. And uh, you know, I work for CNIB, um, part of a wonderful community uh, of friends from the sight loss community and black community. And I could go on, but I really want Vivi to introduce herself as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kia. Um, I'm Vivi. I a identify as a mixed race woman with sight loss. Um, my ancestry is Trinidadian and Guyanese. So one of my parents is from Trinidad. One of my parents is from Guyana. So I am created as um, both Black and Indo-Caribbean or South Asian, however you want to phrase it. Um, I Hail from Manitoba. I'm a proud little prairie flower, and uh, I also work for CNIB. Thank you both for those wonderful introductions. So now we're going to dive into our first question. So 
Kia, I'll start with you. When you hear toxic femininity, what is the first thing that comes to mind or how would you define it? Toxic femininity is almost a, it's taking away power, belittling women, using our femininity or things that are supposed to be positive, what the things that we're, we embrace and it being used to you know, diminish uh, chastise like as as your examples when you use that you know oh you should wear makeup makeup is one part of my femininity which I love anyone who knows me I love fashion I love dressing up I love makeup on the odd times I you know I have natural curly hair or even with the curly hair oh you know straighten your hair so you look more presentable you look more feminine so things that are a part of me and that part of my femininity is being attacked and used against me to belittle, to belittle. That is what toxic femininity, uh, that, that's what resounds to me with toxic femininity. Thank you for sharing. I, I know how you feel. Well, I'm into fashion, but I was never taught how to wear makeup. So lipstick, blush, all that, that's not my thing. So when I go out, sometimes I've had people say to me, want to put on some lipstick like no I don't you know I don't feel like I, I need to so yeah, I could totally relate to you with that and Vivi same question to you when you hear of toxic femininity what first comes to mind or how would you define it well I agree with a lot of what Kia said and I love fashion and makeup too um as a person that was partially sighted and then lost my sight I do have some residual memory about makeup and colors and things like that but toxic femininity to me is very much um you know it's competitive as opposed to collaborative and it's diminishing as opposed to uplifting and all of the things that we value as women um i feel that toxic femininity distorts that or um as you both are saying um is a weapon then gets turned against us. So anything to do with, you know, body shaming or competitive behavior, be it against other women for status or for, um, you know, male affection, um, body shaming, you know, anything that detracts from what a woman could and should be and the many facets that, you know, we should be embracing as women, that that to me is toxic femininity. It's interesting that you say that because the way the media and society portrays women some well, majority of the time is that, you know, we're this helpless creatures that we're very dainty and we, we need men to protect and, and save us. And, you know, they're the head of the family and, and so on and so forth. They're very much in, in control of the situation but with media's portrayal of femininity how do you feel it's it's seen in the black community do you see a contrast in the way society portrays us but then what we experience in the black community as women it's key speaking so how we're portrayed in media there's all there's this and I'm going to speak from, I'm a dark-skinned Black woman, proud of it. 
And when it comes to being a dark-skinned Black woman uh, and media, we are always seen as, you know, the old thing, as as masculine, they, 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 they have, a, you know, our features are hard, we're masculine, or oh, we're strong, we're the strong black woman. Um, you know, you look at beautiful women like uh, Leslie Jones, like, who's dark skinned, she's more, you know, she portrayed or she has more, she has short hair, strong features, she's always portrayed as masculine, she's insulted for that. Serena Williams, another beautiful black woman, strong, built, built like a goddess because she has muscle, they degrade her and berate her for that. And she's being, you know, she's insulted saying, being portrayed as, oh, you're masculine. And all of those traits, having strong features, a strong cheekbones, um, 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 musculature, those are all feminine qualities. But for black women, if we have those qualities, we're masculine, we're hard, we're aggressive. We're not portrayed as soft. We're not portrayed as, you know, the ultimate in femininity. Uh, even though our features are, are taken, appropriated by white women or every other culture where they, they covered our, our, our full lips. They covered our, well, I won't say the ASS, but our posterior. Posterior. Our posteriors. And that's because it's these these same features we have naturally. We are these are our God given features. Uh, you know, we have thicker hips and, and legs. I mean, black bodies by physiology, we're denser when it comes to muscle. But as for women, we're masculine. For black women, but on another woman, a white woman, or any other um, ethnicity, it's seen as oh, you're curvy, you're beautiful, you're you're statuesque so we are not getting the same um light and love when it comes to the standard of beauty when we are the creators of the standard of beauty yep they like to take from us (laughs) all the time and (laughs) let me not get into another before i i I didn't want to i don't want to forget this point also the the portrayal of beauty where if you're mixed race, no offense to be because maybe you're a beautiful black woman, <laughs> uh, but because if you're lighter skinned or you're, um, what's the, what's the term they use? Um, culturally Racial ambiguous. ambiguous. Mm. Love that term. Just mm. it, 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 it annoys me to no end. So mm-hmm. you're basically erasing blackness. You're, you're, that is your way of portraying or you're erasing blackness because you don't, or society or media doesn't perceive us as beautiful. The, mm. the, the closer you are to the lighter spectrum, the looser the curl, the, the thinner the lips, or the, the higher the cheekbones, even though high cheekbones are in every culture, that is the standard of beauty. And we're the lowest on the totem pole. Mm. I, I appreciate what you're saying, Kia. And, and what's interesting is, when you mentioned, you know, Serena Williams and how, you know, her physique is seen as, as masculine. If any other race were to have a woman like that, it would be seen as unique and she is different and, and that is desired. So, yes. What about you, Vivi? What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, I couldn't agree more with everything he is saying. I think the trope of the strong Black woman, for better or for worse, is very much alive, very much prevalent, very much something that we have to be conscious of because the media does control and portray that narrative. And I, I do agree that, you know, when uh, a woman, a Black woman is portrayed as standing up for herself or just being assertive to claim her rights, claim her authority, that is seen as negative and she's aggressive, whereas maybe a woman from another race that would be lauded and praised for, you know, she's strong, she's forthright, she's confident. Um, and I do agree with, you know, the the golden rule, right? The the Grecian because that's where it stems from the Grecian standard of beauty and everything, you know, beyond that is a, a derivation or a, a degradation of uh, the standard. And I just can't help but think of uh, Toni Morrison's novel, her Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Bluest Eye, where the main character, mm -hmm. Piccola, she's also dark skinned and all she ever wants is blue eyes. And she thinks if she attains these blue eyes, then, you know, she will have this this coveted beauty which she so longs for and i mean i'm i'm not going to um you know spoil the ending but it's it's a tragic story on, on multiple levels and uh i think the most prevalent one is that you know you're you're not enough if you don't meet this standard of what society has deemed beautiful and important and valuable and you're so right that all of these things that are valued in Black culture get appropriated. And when they are placed on the white body, it's something to be acknowledged or aspired to. But mm -hmm. in its own origin, for some strange reason, uh, then it becomes denigrated or degraded. For example, I can think of a story... Um, where uh, two people I knew, one is black, one is white, they went on vacation together and uh, they, you know, they both tanned and one of them, the the one was white. Everybody was like, oh, you're so, you're so beautiful. You're so golden. You're so, you know, you've got such a great tan. And the other one was like, oh, you got really dark, didn't you? You know, and they went to the same place on vacation. They both tanned. So why is, you know, the complexion when it's placed onto the white body, um, a thing of beauty, but if it's the black body, it's it's a, a thing to be conscious of or maybe even uh, ashamed of. That is a, a, a very uh, deep question. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we need to answer it. I'm just posing it to the universe. Yeah, and that yeah. would be another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, tossing them out there for future episodes. But that novel you mentioned, Vivi, The Blue Eye by Toni Morrison. Is yes. that what it's called? Yes, okay. The Bluest Eye. Yes. Bluest Eyes. Fantastic Eyes. novel. Yes. Fantastic. So we talked about the physical traits, but I know for, for myself, I've always heard that as a Black woman, you have to be strong. Don't depend on, being West Indian myself, don't depend on no man to, you know, to, to pay your bills, to, 
to take care of you, to whatever. Just don't depend on anyone, just depend on yourself. And then there's that balancing act where, you know, I've had men say to me, oh, you need to be more feminine and let me lead, stop, stop trying to take control. Let me, you know, let me be in charge. Let me lead the situation. But for so long, I've been told to, you know, be independent, do my own thing, uh, not have to worry for nothing, get my education, you know, and speak my mind and, and, and strive for a career, strive for all these things. But then when you look at my counterparts in different different racialized groups it's kind of like I don't know because I've never grown up in, the, in in their households or in their neighborhoods but it feels like they have been they have found the balance when it comes to juggling the femininity with the the independence and and these traits that black women are that we are aggressive and that um we don't know when to keep quiet or when to um know our I guess know our place quote unquote um in, in, the, in the world, I'll say in the world in general, would it, would it be in relationships, friendships, workplace, et cetera. What are your thoughts of, about this? Like, do you, do you have any opinion about, about this when it comes to um, the characteristics of, of Black females when it comes to toxic femininity? Vivi, I'll start with you. I'm just thinking about in relationship to what you're saying about, you know, being in romantic relationships and kind of having men say, you have to, in a sense, you know, let me be the man. And I think that stems from, you know, an equal complication in that, you know, if we as Black women are expected to define ourselves in relation to white femininity, I think uh, Black men, racialized men, too, have the same challenge in that they are always or maybe expected to define themselves in opposition to white masculinity. So they are always, I think, in a sense, trying to demonstrate, um, you know, their capability as men. So I, I think that's where that concern or, or request uh, for us to be the, the balance to, you know, the softer femininity comes from and and I'm not saying it's right or wrong or you know should or shouldn't be performed because I mean masculinity and femininity are performative right like they're you know they're performed gender roles so um but I I do feel that that's probably more of an issue in in the racialized community because of you know the overwhelming presence of the dominant culture and those expectations and how they are internalized um, for both men and women to either achieve a parallel sense of, of um, masculinity or femininity or in some way compensate or excel or exceed um, to what the dominant culture has. Or And I mean that like within your own culture being seen as as recognized as excelling or achieving or exceeding, um, you know, certain expectations in relation to the dominant culture. I, I think just listening to your your statements, Vivi, um, I think that's something that resounds with me, especially as, you know, as Black women, you know, we are told, and, you know, I'll kind of refer, refer back to the question, oh, you know, you have to be 
and uh, you know from the West Indian background experience, you know you have to do better. You have to be more independent. Um, that's also steeped in steeped in our history because the black woman had no choice in, in, in historical manners to be the the backbone of the family. The a lot of you know historically bring it back from slavery. I may be going way too far, but we have to look back and reflect mm-hmm. on our past. When it came to the black family, the nucleuses were destroyed because the black men were emasculated during slavery. So it was up to the woman to be the backbone of family, where there might have been an absence due to the heart the harshness of slavery. And also that's learned behavior. The black woman was always the not always, but a lot of a lot of circumstances, they're the breadwinner. They're the mother and the father. Talking mm-hmm. about the gender norm, normative situations. Yeah. They were uh, they had to for the I'll have to use the use the term, hold everything down. Like they were mm-hmm. the educators, the disciplinarians. So it's almost it because of these situations, we have no choice but to be independent, but to be strong. But that's not again the fact that they were, you know, we're still well, black women, we still have feelings, we still hurt, we still cry, we still <laughs> go through all the emotions as with like every every other woman, a racialized woman or other races. But because of our, you know, those circumstances, we're perceived out of the, you know, out of those situations, those lived experiences, and then lived experiences are learned experiences that we are forced, it's almost like we, we were within our society or within our culture, it's, it's a learned behavior. We're forced to be independent. We're forced to be, I don't want to use the term aggressive, um, assertive, assertive, yeah, yeah. assertive, because that's what, that's what it really is. And yes. there's nothing wrong with being assertive and strong and confident and independent. It's not saying that we do not need anyone. We definitely do need need an, a, you know a partner or someone to add to our lives to lead you know to you know for the tradition that that traditional you want someone to lead, but if that no that if that someone's not there, you're forced to rely on your own devices. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. so that's where. There's, I think there is, we can, there is positivity in, in these things and these learned experiences, but how, you know, how do we move forward and dismantle, you know, these, you know, the tropes or the, uh, I I don't want to, again, the, uh, you know, the misconceptions of our confidence and our our assertiveness and, and independence. How, how do we dismantle that so you see what these things are, that they are feminine, that it's, these are all qualities you need to move through life, just as our white, our, you know, white females or other racialized counterparts. Yeah. And I just wanted to add something, Kia, too, because I think there's an intersectionality here. Uh, I know, like, just in my own family experience with the whole, you know, you need to be independent and don't rely on anyone and you need to be capable and be able to do things for yourself. Like that was very much impressed upon me as a person with sight loss because, you know, my mom was very much aware that she 
didn't want me to have to rely on anybody. She wanted me to be able to, you know, get my education and, um, you know, follow a career path and, you know, quote unquote, be able to take care of myself and so that I wouldn't have to be quote unquote dependent on uh, another person or family member. And of course, you know, um, a partner is always nice to have, but to, to be, you know, a whole person in and of myself to know that I could be self-reliant and that that didn't come from, you know, being partnered with somebody else, that there would not be a, cre- a situation of codependency, right? That I, I would be capable to do the things I wanted to do myself, you know, if I, if I chose. And I love that you brought up that point because as I was speaking from, I guess that's the, the cultural, you know, the West Indian, I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I, I'll speak from the West Indian perspective with, you know, as Nisha was talking about, you must be independent, you must be this, mm-hmm. and then how we're perceived. Mm-hmm. All of those things are positive because as a person with disability, and especially as a woman, so, and racialized, so it's a triple whammy for us. Yeah, we yeah. need, mm-hmm. we, we have to outperform. Yes. We have to be independent because Yes, even with with even if we have a partner, you know, yeah. someone in our life, you still want to have that sense of independence because it 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 feeds your confidence, it feeds your your self actualization, it feeds your accomplishment that I can do this with with someone adding to my life. I can yes. do this on my own. I can do this living with my parents. I can do this living independently. It's having independence as a a, a black woman with sight loss it's it's important and it's and it's something that we shouldn't um we shouldn't have to minimize because Mm -hmm. it doesn't make you know it doesn't make us less feminine and soft that 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 should be something that should be celebrated so has toxic femininity had any impact in your daily life as it pertains to your your sight loss based on what you both have been talking about so far? Uh, Vivi, I'll start with you. Well, (laughs) when I first got a guide dog, I was, you know, very much uh, doing things with that one family member in particular who I was close to. So we spent a lot of time together and we'd do social things and go places and things like that. And, you know, one day she, she said to me, you know, I, I, I just think you should leave the dog at home because like she takes attention away from us. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I was like, and I didn't know how to process that. And I still, you know, this is years ago and I still kind of don't know how to process it. And I mean, you know, in her defense, she's not really dog people. So that could have been a part of it. But I mean, you know, uh, the dog is so much a part of me and and who I am and, and, you know, enhanced my confidence moving through the world. So, you know, to have someone say, you know, I think you should leave the dog at home. Like it feel felt that, you know, I was sort of being asked to negate or as Kia referred to earlier, kind of erase a part of myself. So mm. that's one example I can draw on. Well, did did that family member mean um, when they said that 
people were not were paying attention more to the dog was she saying like people were not how do we say um like I don't get what she what she meant by that. Well, I, I kind of get it, but she's talking about attraction or well, I think so. Yeah, I think she yeah. was implying that yeah, people were more into the dog than into us or into talking to her or us or or whatever. Um, <laughs> same <laughs> same person. There's another incident where um, again, you know, we used to go around a lot to like you know restaurants on occasion. So. Um, there was one time in particular where she told me, like I wasn't with her, but she had said, oh, you know, the security card had approached her and was like speaking to her and was like saying something to the effect of, oh, it's so nice that you take your little sister around with you. Mm. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not the token blind girl that you need to, you know, take out for an airing. Um, like I thought, we were spending time together because you like spending time with me. And I mean, and she does and she did, but when I heard that comment, like it, it totally like, you know, it uh, made me feel small, like mm -hmm. um, that I was, you know, this, this person that she was doing a good deed for oh. or towards, oh, or that's how it was perceived. Hmm? You didn't know, like, you know, there's only, there's only between 12 and two when the blind people are allowed to come out and they put you back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't get that memo. Um, <laughs> get, get the memo. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it made me feel like, you know, back in Italy, I don't know if you guys know this, like, so uh, apparently we may have to do some deep dive historical research on this, but apparently women used to carry around monkeys with them so that they would look more attractive, you know, alongside oh. them. So, so wow. that's kind of what it made me feel like, you know, that I was, wow. this, uh, you know, yeah. So, wow, those are wow. Just, yeah, just, just two things that I'm... come to mind. <laughs> what about you, Kia? <laughs> On that note oh, of dragging around me. a monkey with you. <laughs> oh yeah, get get ready. Bubbles are coming out. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, two things. So um, I've always, because I've been, I'm going to bring out the hair analogy because I've been natural since way back in 1998. And I've always been, ha you know, you go through your natural hair woes, but I've, you know, I've always, I've had, you know, the big curly Afro and big and proud. Um, I lived in New York too so the natural movement there it was just nothing like you know your people saw you as beautiful uh, you know the accolades so I never felt away when I lived in New York so when I came back to uh, Canada so Montreal specifically of course men didn't quite <laughs> they didn't quite look at you the same they look at you like oh you look unkept or untidy or you know, you, you, you're not, you, you natural sisters are just different. Um, okay. And of course going out, yes. So going out with friends, um, I remember a friend of mine, even a family member, you know, a few times, you know, on occasion I would flat iron the hair. So my hair was down my back and, oh my gosh, your hair is so beautiful. And, you know, you look so much better. Hmm. You look so much prettier with your hair hmm. straight. And 
uh, you know, you take the compliment at face value, but then you dig deeper, but like, well, wait, but wait, what are you trying to say that, uh, you know, my natural hair is part of my blackness. So are you trying to say the more Eurocentric I look, the mm-hmm. better I look prettier. So I, I, I'm not pretty because I have natural poofy hair. So that came up a lot of times. Like, oh, why don't you wear your hair straight? Because you look, you, you, you look so much prettier. And it, yeah, it's not what to, you say. According to whose standard of beauty. Standard of beauty. Yeah. And it, it hurt. And even with the cane, um, when I started using my cane, because I was one of those, I was a renegade. I was supposed to start, I was supposed to start using my cane since 20, uh, 2009. Yes, late bloomer. I Then I said, okay, let's break out the cane in 2012. Oh, so. girl, I didn't <laughs> use it until I absolutely yeah. had to. So yes. part of that so, club. Know, <laughs> running, into, running into the glass doors. That's not yes. cute. Yes, running into furniture, running into people. No. Really, I could see, yeah. Yeah. So even with the cane, um, I would go out with, you know, you go out with friends like, oh, you know what? You don't have to bring your cane. Like, oh, we have you. We got you. Oh. Even up to, you know, one of my good friends. Um, he's like, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, oh, well, you're with me now. So you, you can collapse your cane. And I used to do it. But then one time I said, well, why? I mean, I appreciate you guiding me, but are you ashamed of me mm-hmm. walking with my cane it's like oh no 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 no. I, I don't mind guiding you but the more you hear it from different individuals you start thinking well what, what are you what are you implying that it's you know it, it's minimizing my my beauty or my attractiveness my confidence without it and even going in certain spaces it's like oh you know maybe have you tried not you know maybe in certain spaces, I don't, you know, depending on social spaces, I may not use it because it's not conducive to using a cane. You're just going to get knocked down regardless. Uh-huh. Um, mm. But, you know, and I remember that, you know, we've had, I've had conversations with friends and when men see you, they think, and here's the other thing with, you know, the toxic femininity or, or even with disability, they look at you with pity and why don't you look at me with empowerment? Because it's just an extension of myself. It doesn't detract from the way I speak, the way I talk, the way I walk, how well I put, how well I dress myself, and even dressing myself. I've had people <laughs> ask me, "Wow, who dresses you? You look really great." And these are women, and I'm. I just have to say, I dress myself. But you know, FYI, news, newsflash: sight loss doesn't mean death to fashion I have a plethora of friends who dress beautifully using you know whether you use your technology but that's part of my femininity to express myself and they think what because I have sight loss that's another negative um, attribute that detracts from my femininity well, do they mean, kid? did they mean like who physically dresses you or who helps you yes. pick up? Oh, because like, yeah, I, I've had that question too. And like, I interpret it as like, well, I have a pretty committee. So like I have friends and family who I trust who, you know, help me shop. So, but if it's like who physically dresses you, then. I, I that... think, you know what, actually, I, I think it might be in the context of what you're saying. So I, I love that term pretty committee because. <laughs> regardless everyone has a pretty committee started or not but yeah we are still capable let's say the pretty committee's on vacation right you're still capable of dressing yourself and putting yourself together in a, in a beautiful way and an expressive mm-hmm. way 
with people and even when I'm with sighted friends they're like wow like they, they can't stop staring at you I'm like because why because I know how to match my fabrics match my colors yeah because yes, I I'm, I know what you know what I like what looks good on me like I remember by texture by touch what my clothes are yeah and that's and that those are abilities we have mm-hmm. ta-da or they're also thinking, wow, she is pretty for a girl who is blind or has sight loss. Or yeah, or she's, oh, or she's stylish or she's stylish for a girl we, who can't see. Yeah. Don't yeah. get me started. That's another show. <laughs> get started. Get started. <laughs> Listen, I, it's just, oh, thank goodness this is a safe space because that is, that stereotype of what blindness is supposed to be, do not put a blind woman of beauty and intelligence and brilliance in a box let's dismantle what you think blindness is because bb myself nisha ben the honorary female all of us <laughs> that's right um we all conduct ourselves with grace with confidence we're you know again you're capable and and what and we are the epitome okay maybe not so much ben because ben is you know we got to talk about the women yes on the on, on this on this uh, on this podcast right here we're the epitome of beauty and grace and we need to be appreciated for it and you know blindness is blindness is beautiful and it's part of being a, it's it enhances our femininity in ways that an able-bodied um a white you know white able-bodied woman or whoever society media cannot comprehend I think for myself I'm I'm tired of hearing like along the lines of what you're saying key when it comes to your cane I I hear oh if you went out without your cane more men would approach you I think men are attracted to you they see you they want to say something but when they see the cane they get turned off and I my response want- to that would be, then why would I want to be with someone like that? Like, amen. So, and the way society is right now, people aren't approaching anyway, so they can't use an <laughs> excuse of, uh, no, they're not. It's they're, I mean, because they're so they're, they're so engrossed, enamored with their phones and technology. Yeah. yeah, that is what's happening. So, the old-fashioned approaching, or uh, you know, nature. Men are the hunters. Women right. are, you know, men are the chasers, the pursuers. Yeah. Yeah. We are the pursuees. That is out. That has been dismantled. It's not the way society. Where maybe there's one in a hundred chance, but that's not the way society is right now. Well, social media is where it, social media and your phone is where it's at. So you, regardless of having your cane or not, and, and back to your your point, Vivi. If they don't approve, if that's going to prevent them from approaching you, you don't want them in your life. But there are those, they'll see the cane, but they see you. Mm-hmm. That's they'll who you want. You. That's, that's who, you, who want. you want. And yeah. it happens where it, it, they, they see, you know what? Oh, look at that be- beautiful woman. I want to approach her. Oh, who, she has a cane. Okay. Who happens, to be, who happens to be blind or who happens to have who a guide happens. dog? Who happens? Oh, yes, a guide dog. Yeah, let's just we can't we can't disclude that the guide dogs, <laughs> and they just they see you, and that's that's what you want, and your essence, and your what you're exuding, your your confidence, your your beauty, your inner beauty, your outer beauty. You're all 
all of those things that they're going to see. Because it does happen. I mean, like we, we know people in the sight loss community who are blind and married and have children. So, I mean, yes, (laughs) this is, this is a thing that occurs. So it's not the exception to the rule. Right. So and it's not just with other blind people, they have sighted wives or husbands or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So my last question for our discussion today is what are some of the things we can do to combat toxic femininity. I'll start with Kia. Okay. Do not, well, one thing is do not compromise who you are. If you are, you know, don't compromise. We've done, I mean, I know, you know, I mean, bring it back to the whole, you know, you know, shaking your confidence because how you look with your hair or, the natural, you know, my natural hair or my dark, you know, I'm dark skinned being ostracized for that, or I am a cane user. My cane annoys me, but I'm a proud cane <laughs> user. That's uh, right. Yeah, proud cane. I'm going to decorate it. I used to do that. I'm going to decorate my cane, but don't compromise who you are, um, how you feel about yourself. Don't compromise your confidence, your independence, how you move, how you move along this world. Uh, because people will, regardless of it's a partner or, or your know, friends, colleagues, they'll respect you. You have to stand firm in who you are. And that's, it's so important because there's so many, there's too many damaging things when it comes to media and how they're, how we're being attacked and portrayed as, as black and mixed women. And also with, with uh, disabilities, there's too many negative influences out there and we have to really see past those things to really hold on to your resilience and be proud of be proud of your dark skin be proud of your you know vivi has the long dark hair and and your your olive complexion your your you know your sun-kissed and yes vivi, <laughs> you have sun-kissed I'll, I'll own it i'll take it own I'll it take, own it you know your it. your curls your curves you know black women we are we are so beautiful and remember you know remember your power remember your Mm -hmm. worth because everyone looks to us when it comes to fashion for beauty for skin for features for body parts you know posteriors as I mentioned before (laughs) but um you know take from your you know your strength from your upbringing which I I I say it again I love my upbringing and my 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 Indian values shape my life um living in North you know my my North American experiences all of these things like you all attributes of yourself really be proud really find strength and confidence in it all that was beautiful. It was. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Very, Thank you. I'm going to cry Very eloquently. Aw, don't cry. That's my job. <laughs> 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 We're all going to cry. We're all going to cry. You know what? It's true. We're all going to cry. And it's true that and having the opportunity to really sit here and resonate and speaking with, you know, my beautiful sisters on on this podcast, it's, you know, I'm saying it and I'm, you know, I'm even getting, you know, getting the strength from both of you 
it's mm-hmm. that's it, 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 it you know my own my own words I'm, I'm getting inspiration from both of you from what what this discussion has meant and I'm really happy that we we forayed the world of toxic femininity and trying to find you know some positivity and balance out of it I totally agree I've learned that my my comfort in myself inside and out helps me exude confidence to the world like once I am comfortable with the fact that I don't like to wear makeup and I, I am and I love my flats and I wear things that make me feel safe and that still bring out my personality to those who are looking at me they see a confident strong black woman and, and just like what you were saying, Kia, when it comes to growing up, I was always told you have to, because you are a dark-skinned Black woman, you have to be stronger, you have to be, you have to be braver, you have to be 10 steps ahead of everyone else. And even if you're, you know, you always have to try really, really hard, you have to work harder than the next person, because as a dark-skinned Black woman with sight loss, you, according to society, I have all these things working against me. And yes, that's hard to hear. And, and, and yes, that's, you know, it probably shouldn't be that way. But I, I think growing up hearing that and my, my family and my mom in particular instilling that with, into me has helped me get through the toughest times of my life, which was dealing with sight loss. If it wasn't for those words, I wouldn't have pushed myself to use JAWS and, and use, uh, do O&M. I know both of you didn't use your canes at first. I was using cane, my cane by the first or second month. I was like, give me that cane. I don't want to pee. <laughs> I don't want to pee. I want to get out there because for the longest time I was told you have to be brave. You have to be strong. You have to be independent. And I think mm-hmm. that was the driving force in, in me wanting to just embrace my sight loss. Yes, it was scary. It was hard, but I still managed to find a way to embrace it, and which has helped me combat combat um, you know these these toxic traits we were just been talking about in, in femininity. Uh, so I'll stop with my rant and go over to <laughs> to you, Vivi. Uh, what are your thoughts on ways we can combat toxic femininity? Well, I'm just going to add to what you two said and um, say embrace your authentic self. So learn who you are and love that and be comfortable and confident with that. And if it doesn't meet with what the dominant culture or the media or society say is the standard, that's okay because your uniqueness is, is who you are. And that is where your wholeness is. And, um, you know, for example, like I'm now a person with sight loss. I wore glasses for most of my life because I was a per- person who was partially sighted. I still wear glasses. Why? Because they've been a part of me since I was two years old and they're still a part of me. I don't feel like I'm, you know, put together without my glasses. So now they're accessory, they're fashion more than function, but they are still me. And if people ask me, you know, I'm prepared to answer because, you know, mm-hmm. I've had people say, well, people are going to think you see if you wear glasses. Well, that's fine. You know, if they want to ask me, I'm happy to answer. And I mean, that could probably be uh, perceived as another form of toxic femininity. Because like, if you're blind, you shouldn't be wearing glasses or you should be wearing the dark ones. Well, whatever. No, I'm, I'm doing me. This is, this is how I'm comfortable. And, you know, when we hear those comments that are uh, toxic, 
if we're comfortable and we feel safe enough, and this is something, I mean, I work on and I still am working on and in, in some respects still have to get comfortable with, you know, I want to be courageous enough to be able to pose that question back to that person. So, you know, what are you trying to say when you're saying this to me? What are you wanting me to glean from your comment? Like, are you trying to be supportive? Because what you're saying really isn't supportive. So what is your intent by, you know, saying these things to me? How, how are you thinking that I should be, you know, accepting this? And again, that's, you know, that's a journey um, because you have to be comfortable and safe and, um, you know, secure in, in posing those questions. But I'd like for us to be able to feel that we're at a place at times to do that, to identify and kind of deconstruct what is being projected onto us. Thank you, Vivi and Kia. Wonderful, wonderful conversation. Before I sign off, are there any parting words, resources, or anything you'd like to share with listeners before we, we go today? Well, as a shout out, as we were talking, I'll just, you know, mention again, Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye, which is a great book, kind of touching on many aspects of what we were talking today. And then there's another book that I thought of called uh, Survival of the Prettiest by Nancy Etkoff. And she goes into kind of an academic study of the standards of beauty throughout history and how, um, you know, the epitome of beauty became to be known as what we recognize it as today in contemporary culture. And then there's a picture book, which may not be, I'm, I'm aware, accessible for, for everybody, but, uh, and I forget the author, but it's called Don't Touch My Hair. And it's about a little black girl. Yes. Who, who mm -hmm. uh, she, she encounters all of these people in all of these different environments who want to touch her hair and kind of, you know, discusses like how her hair grows up like a sunflower and points to the sun it's not it's not you know long and flowy and so she she journeys through all of these different places trying to uh, get away from people who want to touch her hair outer space and underwater with a mermaid and it's it's kind of a really fun book exploring that topic in a in a creative way awesome i'll definitely include those in the show notes for today's episode for anyone who wants to to take a peek at those resources. Thank you, Vivi. All right. With that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning into today's episode of The Lens Living Diverse. If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to listen to more, please feel free to subscribe on all streaming platforms as where you can find The Lens. And if you want to learn more about diversity and inclusion from the sight loss community perspective, please visit the CNIB Advocacy homepage. The link to the homepage will be in the show notes as well. I want to thank you once again for listening to the Lens Living Diverse. I'm your host, Nisha. Until next time, bye everyone.